0: your bibles today go ahead and turn to genesis chapter 22 and we're going to spend most of our time in genesis 22 we'll look at a couple other passages but that's the story we're going to be looking at today and uh, i i'm so grateful that pastor troy would would trust me enough to let me get in the pulpit today uh we uh we talked about it a while back a good while back he asked me would i be willing to do this because he was going out of town and i he immediately said yes I, I decided a few years ago that I was not going to say no to an opportunity to preach and so when he gave me the opportunity I, I stepped up and I um, I but I began to think about it, and originally he said we're going to get together and talk about it, and we'll come up with whether or not you're going to do a standalone sermon, or we're going to start a new series. And then, uh, right before, not long before Christmas, we we talked, and I told him the idea I had in mind for a standalone sermon, and he came back and said, "Hey, that would fit great. Why don't we make that a series?" And we're so we're starting a series today called "The Power of Sacrifice," the power of sacrifice. And I think it's going to be a great one. He's got some great ideas for the re- the remainder of the. messages to go along with this, and I'm going to start us out today looking at the story of Abraham and Isaac. Um, Pastor Troy has taught us for a long time that sacrifice is simply giving up what we love for what we love more. And that's really what it is. It's giving up something that we love, something that we really want in order for something or someone that we love more. And let's be honest. Some people sacrifice comes natural. For some people, they're just givers. They're, they're ones that are always out there doing for others and helping others and doing extra things. And it's just something in their, in their DNA that they just enjoy that and they're always out there doing it. And we all know people like that. And then there's others that really struggle with sacrifice. They feel like they're giving up part of their identity or they're giving up something that's special to them or, they, or, or maybe they're losing some of, their, some of their control if they're sacrificing for someone else. Um, but the truth is this. It's very simple. When we sacrifice, we're simply giving the best of ourselves to become even better. That's what we're doing. When we sacrifice in any way, it's, it's giving the best of us. Because the truth is, if we're not sacrificing something of importance, then it's not a true sacrifice. If we're not sacrificing something that means something, it's not really a sacrifice. I mean, if you're saying, if you think that God's asking you to sacrifice by giving a quarter to the church and you got $200,000 in the bank, that's not a sacrifice. That's not the way it works. If you think he's asking you to sacrifice by giving up an hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday morning to worship, and that's the only time you spend with him, that's not a sacrifice. Most of the time, I, it can be for some people in certain situations, but most time it's not. I used to, we used to live in other countries where we would see people I, walk for miles and miles just for the chance to go to church, in the rain or whatever, in the heat, heat, heat. It was hot. Um, the first time I ever went to Brazil, as a matter of fact, I went on a mission trip and we built a a schoolhouse that was going to be used as a school and a church. There was a group doing that. I was doing evangelism, and and I. Uh, the last night there, we dedicated the building and it was raining cats and dogs. It was terrible. And yet I watched people walk for miles and miles in the rain to come and be there in that building just for the opportunity to worship. And for many of us, it's hard to get here on a Sunday morning <laughs> when we drive in a heated or an air-conditioned car. It, it, it's, it's amazing to me. But sacrifice is dependent on where you are, what you have, what you're able to do. Sacrifice is always something more. Than, than what you think you can do. Um, today we're going to be looking at the biblical account of Abraham and Isaac. And, and we're going to see where Abraham is actually asked by God to sacrifice his only son physically, take the life of his son as a sacrifice. And a lot of people have problems with this story because they're saying, why in the world would God ask somebody to kill their own son? And I understand that. But I want you to follow the story through to see what happens because there really is a point to it. There really is a reason for it. And in the end, it all works out, okay? So trust me on this. Um, but we're going to be looking at that. So if you're in Genesis chapter 22, I want us to look at sacrifice today and what happens when God asks for a sacrifice. What happens when God asks us for a sacrifice? There's four things I want us to see today about when God asks for a sacrifice. So first look in Genesis 22 in verse 1. It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Now, I want to stop there and just point out that when God asks for a sacrifice, it could be a test. Okay? In this case, God tells us at the very start of the story, this is a test for Abraham. Now, Abraham didn't know it was a test. Abraham just knows that God's speaking to him. Abraham just knows that he's being asked to do something that's kind of radical. It's something that's kind of crazy. And it doesn't make a lot of sense when you know who Isaac is in comparison to the story of the Hebrew nation and and to the story of bringing Jesus to earth. This story of Isaac parallels the story of Jesus and Calvary so very well. There's so many similarities in the stories, and we're going to look at some of those as we go along. But in this case, I want you to understand that sometimes it's a test. And sometimes God tests us so that we can know that we have what we need and we can trust Him that He always has what we need when the test comes along. Sometimes it's confusing. Is it a test or a temptation? Well, here's the thing. God doesn't tempt us, but he does test us. As a matter of fact, in James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, it says this, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full full grown, gives birth to death. This passage teaches us again that the wages of sin is death. Sin always leads to death in some way. and But it's saying that if you're being tempted to do something bad, something that's going to break the law of God, something that's going to break the heart of God, something that's going to dishonor God, then it's not God testing you. That's a temptation that you need to avoid. You need to run away from. 1 Corinthians 10.13, it won't be on the screen, but it's one of my favorite verses. It says, um, for we are not tempted beyond what we are able, but in the temptation we'll, we'll have a way of escape so that we can stand up under it. We, God always has a way out when we're facing temptation if we'll look for the escape. Many of us just give in too easy. I've been there. But in the case of God testing us, it's not a temptation to do something evil. It's a test that's seeing will we do what's right. Will we do what God is asking us to do? Will we do what will honor God, what will be better for us, even if it's hard on us in the moment? Because let's face it, a lot of times we don't do the right thing simply because the right thing is harder than the easy thing. And that's true in many parts of life. Many, many times in my life, I've chosen the easy way out instead of what I knew was right because the right thing was going to take a sacrifice. And we don't want to sacrifice. We don't want to get up and do what we've been asked to do. We want to be able to sit there and enjoy our life and it's so much easier to just ignore what's going on. It's so much easier to just give in to what everyone else is doing. It's so much easier to just follow what others say is okay, instead of following the path that God has set for us. And we see here in this passage that God is ready to test Abraham. And sometimes he, he wants to test us. And I want to tell you, a lot of times when you're put through a test, it's not because the, the teacher is trying to flunk you. It's not because the teacher wants to see you do bad. A lot of us, when we were in school, we thought the teacher was just testing us just to be mean. No, the truth is, the majority of teachers, and all good teachers, (laughs) want you to pass. They want you to do well. And the goal of the test is not to see you fail. The goal of the test is to prove what you've learned. And God is putting us through a test sometimes, so that we can show what we're able to do in our own power through His power. Because sometimes, I'm going to tell you, sometimes I don't feel like I can do it. Sometimes I don't feel like I have the strength to do what God's asked me to do. Sometimes I, I don't think I have the money to give what he's asked me to give. And yet every time that I do what he's asked me to do, he always meets my needs. And he always blesses me in some way. So we see that God asked for a if God asked for a sacrifice, it could be a test. That's very possible. But look in verse 2. It says, then, Jesus, then God said, Take your son, talking to Abraham. Your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Now if you know this story, you know that Isaac was the son of promise. God had come to Abraham and said, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. He said, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you descendants like you wouldn't believe. And Abraham's going, no, I'm old. And somebody told Sarah that she was going to have a baby at 90 years old. And she laughed. And said, I can't have a baby at 90 years old. And and God told Abraham, you're going to be the father at 100 years old. And he laughed. If you look in, in Genesis chapter 17, verses 17 through 19, we see a part of this story. And it says this, Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. God comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to give you a son. His name He's going to be born through a miracle. Now look at the the parallels between Jesus and Isaac. First of all, Isaac's birth was announced way ahead of time. So was the birth of Jesus. Isaac's birth was a miracle birth. His mother was 90 years old. Nobody believed she could have a baby, but she had one because God made it happen. It was his plan for their lives. Jesus' birth was a miracle birth. He was born of a virgin. Isaac was named by the angels before he was ever born before he was ever even conceived. Jesus was named before he was born. We see a lot of parallels between Isaac and Jesus. And what we see here, though, is God has come to Abraham and said, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. His name's going to be Isaac. He's going to be born from Sarah. Abraham tried to go around that and do it his own way. He tried to have a child with his maidservant. And God said, no, that's not the child I'm talking about. It's going to be with Sarah, your wife of, that's 90 years old. You're going to have this baby, Isaac. He's the promised son. He's the one that's going, to, that's going to bring about the Hebrew nation. He's the one whose line is going to bring about the Messiah someday. And he had a plan for this son. And now all of a sudden... Here, in in just a few chapters later, in chapter twenty-two, God comes to Abraham and says, "Hey, Abraham, that son that I told you to have, that son that I promised you would have, that son that I named, that son that I that I brought about through a miracle, that God, that son that I said was going to raise up a mighty nation that was going to impact the entire world, I want you to go kill him. I want you to put him to death. Here's the thing to understand, folks." When God asks for a sacrifice, there will be a cost. If there's not a cost involved, it's not a God-sized sacrifice. God doesn't need you to do what you can do in your own power. He wants you to do what you can only do through Him. It's going to cost you something. It's going to, there's going to be a cost to any sacrifice that comes from God because if you give it without a cost, it really means nothing. They got there and and God said, He said, Abraham, I want you to go to to Moriah and there there's going to be a hill that I'm going to point out to you. And I want you to go to that specific hill. Now, Moriah means foreseen of the Lord. It's a place that that God had foreseen. He knew what was coming. He knew what was going to be happening here. And we're going to talk more about that in a minute. So remember that the Moriah foreseen of the Lord. See, here's the thing about this. The hill that they chose in Moriah to sacrifice Isaac is the very same hill that Jesus would die on that we now know as Calvary. God had foreseen. He already knew. That the place he was choosing as a sacrifice was the place that was going to be the ultimate sacrifice for you and me. He sent Abraham to this specific place with a specific task of doing something that just seemed crazy. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I've done some crazy stuff in my life and i've actually done some of it because i i knew god was telling me to do it and i've done some of it just because i'm stupid <laughs> but i've done some crazy things and i've i've been out there and there's been i've had a lot of friends in my life matter of fact here a few years ago i found one of my high school annuals yearbooks and and was reading through the where people write in it and it blew my mind how many people would say said one of the craziest guys I knew, to my craziest friend, to a really crazy guy. And I was like, was I really that crazy in high school? And then you get together with a few of them, and they start to tell stories. And I think, oh, wow, I forgot I did that. But, here, but, but when I was in high school, in my junior year in high school, the summer between junior and senior is when I became a Christian. That's when I got on fire for Jesus. And I began to go around and do some kind of crazy things. And I would go around and share Jesus with people. I would go to parking lots where kids were just hanging out, walk up to their car, start talking to them. Next thing you know, I'm asking them, do they know Jesus? I would go to the mall with some of my friends, and we would stand up. I would stand up on one of the little platforms in the middle of the mall, a little wall thing or whatever, get everybody's attention and just start singing. And my friends would sing with me, and then when people would gather around to hear us sing, we'd stop and share the gospel real quick. We would go to restaurants on Sunday night after church, and back then, I I grew up in Olive Branch, moved away, came back a few times. But growing up in Olive Branch, we didn't have anything. We had Sonic Dodge store and a barbecue place, and a really good little place in Old Town that made the best burgers, but it hadn't been there for a long, long time. But, and then we had Big Star and Food Right, which are only two grocery stores, and they were both pretty small, but people would drive around, teenagers would just drive around town. And if you wanted to find anybody on a Friday or Saturday night, because we didn't have cell phones, if I was running late going home, I had to actually go up to a pay phone or go to somebody's house and say, can I borrow your phone to call my mom? Because if I'm one minute late, I'm in trouble. But if I at least call her and say, I'm on my way, I may get a little grace. <laughs> and we would do that. But if you wanted to find somebody, you go set it Sonic. And they're eventually going to drive around Sonic. And when they do, you flag them down. And you can talk to them. But we would go, because we didn't have a lot of places to eat here in Olive Branch, we would drive into Memphis and go to Wendy's or Taco Bell or McDonald's or whatever. And, and when we would get through eating, I would start singing and all of my youth group that went with us would join in and we'd start singing. And next thing you know, there were people calling our church saying, where's that youth group going to be this week? We want to go hear them sing. And people would show up at those restaurants just to hear it. And we would always share the gospel. It seems kind of crazy to do that. It seems kind of radical. But yet we saw people come to Christ. And I honestly felt at the time this was something God was leading me to do. I don't tell other people to go do it because if God doesn't tell you to do it, you're just silly. But if God asks you to do it, there's going to be a cost. When my I've got two sons. They're both grown now. They don't even live at home anymore. But the oldest the oldest one is still a wrestler. The youngest one was for quite a while and he hadn't done it in a while. Uh, he may or may not go back. We'll see. But the oldest one... When he first started wrestling, I wasn't sure about it, but we went to every little show that he would do, and all of them were here local, so it was easy. There was one that was like two hours down 55 that we would go to about once a month, and it didn't seem that bad. Well, then he, he started going up to this place in Union City, Tennessee, that was a two-and-a-half-hour drive. We would get up on Saturday morning, go through McDonald's and get some breakfast, get to Union City and buy some lunch. And, and they would work out, and, or I, we would get to the place and they would work out and I'd go get some lunch and bring it back. And then that night we would hang out for the show and, and we would still, I'd go buy everybody dinner afterwards and we would drive back home. I'd get home at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning a lot of Saturday nights and be here at 7.30 on Sunday morning. And there's been numerous times since then that we've driven to—I've driven home from Chicago or Cape Girardeau, Missouri, or or up in—I uh, don't know—several places East Tennessee, all kind of different places where I've taken my son's places and then I've driven home with them so that they didn't have to go alone and got got no sleep or very little sleep and was here the next morning. It was a sacrifice. It cost me something. It cost me money. It cost me time. My Saturdays were taken. It cost me me a lot of things. But you know what? It brought me so much joy. And it paid off because my oldest son now is making a good living doing what he loves. He's living out his dream. But when God asks for a sacrifice, there's going to be a cost. And we have to weigh that cost and say, is it worth it? And if God's the one asking, can I tell you folks, it's always worth it. It's all about who do you love more. What do you love more? Do you love that little activity that's keeping you from doing what God wants you to do? Or do you love God more? Do you love that money that you're holding on to? Or do you love God more? It's going to cost every time that God asks for a sacrifice. But let's look at what else. There's there's a few verses here where they get there. And and Abraham says, we're going to go on ahead. And he tells the other people that are with him to stay there. And then look at what happens in verse 6. It says, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife as the two of them went on together. Now let me point out here. Here they are, and they're about to go up this hill. Abraham's got his son with him. He puts the wood for Isaac to carry that's going to be the wood to burn him. And Isaac's carrying his own wood for his own altar up the hill the same way Jesus carried his own cross up that same hill. And there's Abraham, and Abraham's got some fire because they didn't have big lighters back then, so he just got a torch that he's carrying with him so they'll have some fire, and he's got a knife. And there they are walking up the hill together. And then what happens? In verse 7, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Here's Abraham's son saying, Hey, Dad, (laughs) I see you got fire. I see you got a knife. I got some wood. What you planning on killing? (laughs) He he had been around his dad for enough years that he knew what a sacrifice was. He knew what it meant to worship in that day. He knew that there was something missing from this scene. And he's asking the question. He's probably getting a little nervous. Then he went on in verse 8. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Abraham knew that God was going to provide something in some way, and I'll talk about that in a minute. In verse 9, when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now, folks, understand this. Abraham at this point was well over a 100 years old. He was a 100 when Isaac was born. Most people tell this story that Isaac was a little child, and that's kind of how I referred to it in the first service, even though I didn't say exactly how old he was. And then somebody came up to me during in between services and let me know that they looked it up, and a lot of historians and, and scholars believe that actually Isaac was probably in his early 20s at this time. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, If you read the passage, it doesn't tell us how much time had passed. But we do know that Isaac was old enough to carry his own wood. So he was a strong, whether it was a little kid or a teenager, or even now at this point, basically a grown man. Here's the thing, if he wanted to get away, he probably could have knocked his dad down who was 100 and something years old and ran, and his dad probably couldn't have caught him. I remember when I was a kid, one time my mom wanted to whip me, and I took off running. And she couldn't catch me, and I was so proud of myself, I just stayed outside until 4.30 that afternoon when I heard Daddy pull in. I didn't run from Daddy. It was not a fun afternoon. (laughs) It was fun up until Daddy got home. But the thing is, Isaac probably could have got away if he really wanted to, but he didn't. What happened? He laid there because he trusted his father. He knew his father wanted what was best for him. As a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. That name there is Jehovah Jireh. That they named this place. See Abraham at this point was confident that God was going to provide in some way. This was the son of promise. This was the son of destiny. This was the son that was going to bring about the Hebrew nation and the Messiah. This is the son that Abraham had been waiting on, and now he has, and God is saying to go and slay him. And Abraham is confident that God is going to do something, even if it means he's got to bring Isaac back from the dead. Matter of fact, we find out in Hebrews eleven nineteen 19, it says, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Abraham believed in his God. He knew that God was a God of truth. He knew that God was a God who kept his promises. He knew that God was a God of provision. And here's the thing to remember, folks. When God asks for a sacrifice, he will provide. If he's asking for a sacrifice, it's not because he's trying to get what you've got. It's because he knows he has more in store for you than you ever imagined. And he will provide the sacrifice that he requests. Whether it's money, time, talent, helping out someone, whether whether it's a relationship issue, whatever it is, if God asks for a sacrifice, he's going to provide what you need. My main ministry here at City Church is I'm the media director. I'm usually most Sundays back there in that booth in some way and we it's what you see on the screen and what you hear from the speakers and, and, and what goes out on the live stream and the lights and all that is what I'm in charge of. And the way it came about is we honestly, when I first started doing this we had one person doing sound and computer and that was it. And then I began to ask questions and say what if we do this and this and this and the next thing you know PT asked me would I be the director because we had lost the director. And things began to advance a little bit. Here's the deal. I don't know a lot about this stuff. I'm actually pretty stupid when it comes to this stuff but yet I get back there and I learn how to do the computer and I learn how to do the soundboard and I learn how to do the lights and I learn how to do the live stream and then we and we 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 added the live stream at one point and then we made it a little better and then we made it a little better and we're still working on it and there's a lot we still want to do but what I've seen is I Step after step after step, I goes God, I need to quit this job because I'm not good at it. I don't know what I'm doing. And yet, step after step after step, He keeps providing. And He keeps helping me find the answer. And we keep making improvements. And I start to feel joy and satisfaction after seeing God fulfill what I don't have the power to fulfill in my own power. If He asks you to sacrifice, and that is a sacrifice sometimes, There's some Saturdays I'll be up here for six to eight hours on a Saturday working on things and getting things set up right. There's some weeks that I'll come up two or three times during the week at night and work on things. It just depends on what's going on at the time. It can be, I'm here every Sunday morning by 7.30 to make sure things are set up and ready to go. It can be a sacrifice, but it's such a blessing and a joy when God brings it all together and does through me what I can't do in my own power. Remember that Moriah means foreseen of the Lord and here Jehovah Jireh means the Lord will provide. And all of a sudden God came to this hill and said this hill that was a place that was known as foreseen by the Lord and He knew that someday it was going to be the place of Calvary. It is now the place that the Lord will provide because He knows what He's providing in this spot. He provided a lamb for for Abraham and He's providing our salvation through Jesus thousands of years later. Right here we see a dramatic change in the story because leading up to this, we saw the story of Isaac paralleled with Jesus and all the things of how Isaac was like the Christ going to the sacrifice of the cross. And now all of a sudden, we see this ram in the thicket and Isaac is no longer the Christ. He's now you and me. All of a sudden now, he's the one needing salvation. All of a sudden now, the lamb is bringing about the rescue. And Isaac is being rescued. All of a sudden, he's the one who's needing salvation just as you and I need that salvation. When Jesus died on that cross, it was to pay the penalty for every one of our sins. In ways that we could never imagine. Because we were guilty and we were deserving of death. And Jesus said, no, God, I'm not going to let them die. I'm going to die in their place as the perfect sacrifice. And Abraham was able to see the gospel fulfilled there at Jehovah Jireh. In John 8.56, it says, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. How did Abraham see the day of Jesus? He saw it on the mountain there in Moriah as he saw what happened with his son in that ram. In Galatians 3.8, it says, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. The Gospel was announced to Abraham in advance when he stood on that mountain and he saw the sacrifice of what was happening and he named that place Jehovah-Jireh and he knew that there was a Messiah coming someday. When God asks for a sacrifice, understand it, it could be a test. Understand when God asks you for a sacrifice, there will be a cost. And understand, when God asks you for a sacrifice, He will provide. No matter what's going on, no matter what it is, no matter how big of a sacrifice it seems, He will not ask you for that sacrifice if He's not going to provide. And then there's one fourth point. If you keep reading with me in Genesis 22, starting in verse 15, it says, "...the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord." Isn't that awesome? God can swear by Himself. (laughs) Because He's that awesome. He's that powerful. I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Jesus, this is is one of those things that that God is coming to Abraham, and he's saying, Abraham, because you did what I ask you to do, you've proven yourself worthy. You passed the test. And now I'm going to bless you more than you ever thought possible. Because you trusted me, I'm going to bless you. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, obey my commandments. That's part of the process. Do you really love me? Then do what I ask you to do, because you trust me as your father. The same way Isaac trusted Abraham to lay on that wood, knowing that his dad had his best interest at heart, trust God when he asks you for a sacrifice, because he's got the end planned out. He knows what it's going to be. He knows what it's going to do. Why did God provide for Abraham? He provided because Abraham was willing to give back to God what God had already provided to Abraham. See, here's here's the fourth point, and this is so important. I want you to understand that when, when God came to Abraham and said, I want you to sacrifice your son, God wasn't after Isaac. God was after Abraham. When God came to me and asked me to move out of the country, He wasn't trying to get me to be in another country to learn another language and just help a few people. He was trying to get my heart. When God comes to you for anything and asks you to sacrifice in some way, it's not the sacrifice He needs. It's not the sacrifice He wants. It's not the sacrifice He desires. It is you that He desires. When God asks for a sacrifice, He wants you more than the sacrifice. Heard a story years ago from a preacher, long, long time ago, about a, a father who, who took his son to McDonald's and he bought him his son a large French fry, and the son was eating them, and Dad reached over to grab a few, and the son smacked his hand and said, No, those are mine. And Dad got upset. He said he started thinking to himself, going, Does he not know that I paid for those fries? Those are actually mine. Does he not understand that if I want to, I can take them away and he won't get any? Does he not understand that i got enough money in my pocket to go back there and buy every fry they have in this building and bury him in fries if I want to, or I can go buy my own fries. I don't need his fries. And see, sometimes that's how it is with God. We forget. When he's asking us for a sacrifice, it's not because he needs what we have. It's because he wants to bless us more. With things that we can't even see. He's after your heart. He's after who you are. And when God comes to me and says, DeWittle, I want you to sacrifice for your family. I want you to sacrifice for the church. I want you to sacrifice for my kingdom. It's not because He's after my time or my talent or my money, He's after my heart. He wants me to be better. He wants me to trust Him more. When God asks for a sacrifice, He's after you. It's time that we learn to trust God. It's time we learn to love God more. And recognize that because of Calvary, there shouldn't be any selfishness. Because of Calvary, there shouldn't be any fear. Because God has what we need. See, the truth is, if He's asking for something, He's already given it to you. And you can trust God with anything He's given to you. Anything God's given to you is not going to break. It's not going to run out. It's not going to disappoint. You you won't have to send it back on Amazon and tell them you want to return. it. Whatever God's given to you, He's given to you for a reason. And He wants to bless you with it and through it. If he asks for a sacrifice, understand, you are his goal. You are his desire.